And that means it's time for the first hour of the Dr. and Mrs. Future Show. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. Ladies and gentlemen, KSEO presents the Dr. Future Show. If you would like to join in our show today, you can call us at 831-479-1080. That's 831-479-1080. And now, your host, Dr. Future. Well, good afternoon, folks. Welcome to the show. Welcome, Mrs. Future, our co-host on the board. Greetings. <laughs> and Bobby, our science correspondent in San Francisco, he's got his rig working perfectly now. Yes. Can you hear me okay? I hear you fine. Oh, good. good. Yeah. Ah, yes. Well, this is a, in the current configuration of things. This is probably the last month, next month, is in KSEO will probably not be live. So this is one of our final shows. In yeah, this we're in our... 2022 countdown of live shows from the studio here, we think. But things will change, no doubt. What's curious is that we were internet people and video people before. Yeah, uh, we that's right. We're, we're think different people. We're so, all media all the time. Radio is just one fun. Yeah, and one of our missions in working with AM radio, especially and FM as well, is to reach out to those that hadn't had computers yet or weren't aware of how to communicate with the new media and really reach over the divide to the AM-FM world yeah. and help you folks get into the, uh, the new stuff. That's right. Here we are. So we'll be continuing. You'll be able to find us online at drfutureshow.com. The slash links page is uh, where you can see what we'll be podcast. talking about this week. And we might even be adding a whole lot more video. Oh, yeah. We're we definitely going to get more into video. <laughs> and we'll be playing with all kinds of strange things like Mastodon. Mm-hmm. And, I yeah, took a few plunges into Medium and Substack and Clubhouse yeah. and some of these new models for producing content. And Twitter. Twitter's going to be doing video. Oh, and Twitter and Blue. I'm in Twitter Blue. That's yeah. it. There you go. Yeah. How about you, Bobby? What format are you? embracing i look forward to twitter yeah i haven't checked out their video thing but yeah that might be it's a uh, moving target periscope, you know. right yeah well it's not been done yet they're still brainstorming how they're going to get long form mm-hmm. video on twitter yeah we have a link today about the vision for where twitter can go to become the everything app twitter 2.0 which we'll be talking about on the show today yeah oh and, great yeah. yeah things are changing it's still a sunny day here in santa cruz Beautiful weather. How about in San Francisco? You got nice weather there today? Blue skies. It's beautiful. Yeah, warm. Yeah, it's great. Nice. nice. Easy and not breezy. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing in the news that affects us and, and you too, Bobby, uh, is, is uh, the lava from the Hawaii volcano, the eruption. Oh, yeah. On the We're big island. We're all Mauna Loa watchers. <laughs> yeah. First time in 38 years. Yeah. I think the last one was, well, from Mauna Loa, it was uh, 84. Wow. Yeah, 38 years. Yeah. So last year we were all tuned into Bob, right, <laughs> in Iceland. <laughs> right. That beautiful yeah. live volcano that was so fascinating yeah, they, for a few months. <laughs> yes, I like the way they made it easy for those who couldn't speak Icelandic <laughs> to refer to the volcano as Bob. <laughs> Very nice. Bob. <laughs> yeah. And now we're looking at the Earth's. I guess the largest volcano. It's considered the largest volcano in the world Uh in Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. Covers half the island. 
Mm-hmm. It could be very dynamic. Though the eruption so far does not seem to be endangering the towns. Yeah. Thank goodness. But the location and the advance of the lava flows do change for fairly rapidly. So if you have any interest in the volcano in Hawaii, keep an eye on that, especially if you have property or friends uh, on the big island. Mm-hmm. It, it could be dramatic changes happening over the next few days. Do you remember when we walked over the yeah. lava flows? Was that on Maui? No. Was that no. on Big No, the island? only active island for volcanoes is Big Island. And that's where we walked over. You actually walk over yeah. lava and you can see lava rivulets that shine in the dark. You know, they're uh, red-orange mm-hmm. flowing rivulets of lava Yeah, that you're walking on. It's kind of... And you get a little surprised. You think you're walking on normal land and you start realizing it's getting hot under your feet and that there's lava just a few inches below the surface and you're getting a little too close. <laughs> yes. My shoes are melting. No. Yes. <laughs> Well, you have some connections yeah. with uh, Big Island, too. Well, yeah. The first time I was there, I was uh, a solar eclipse chaser. And so mm. it was in 1991, they had totality going down the saddle between Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa. Yeah. And we flew in a couple days in, and it was raining the day before. And then, and then we hired a guy with a Jeep, and we went up to the saddle. And the whole island, all around below... Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa was socked in with and nobody could see the eclipse but we drove up to the top and we saw the eclipse up there so that was mind-changing you know (laughs) to see that and then the next couple days we went to Hilo and we heard that there was the Kilauea was actually hot and you could see lava so we went there at night and sure enough we didn't know it but we were walking over a flow underneath and the ground was hot. And uh, (laughs) I was a little afraid that, you know, we might just break through and fall into this thing, you know, but when we got to the ocean, what was happening was it was like a fire hose, at least four inches in diameter of this lava shooting out of these, like a fire hose out 20 feet above and out toward the ocean and we walked up to this thing you could see it shoot out and then it would land on the ocean and it would explode Ooh. i mean it was just like fireworks but explosions like booms you know yeah, so hot it was, hot lava hitting the ocean uh steam too right? yeah yeah and when it hit the ocean but the heat i mean we could only get about mm, maybe 30 feet to it because it was so hot i mean you, yeah. it was just incredible that changed my life. I mean, just to see that right in front of your eyes shooting into the ocean was just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And to see land just being created right before your eyes. That's right. It was creating these lava stones, well, you know, land right in front of us. It was crazy. Just just pouring out of the ground, making it. I believe I have the sound of a live Mauna Loa right now. Let's really? See. Are we going to play it right now? Yeah, let's go out on the commercial break where you actually can hear okay. live Mauna Loa okay. eruption in Big Island.
Hey, welcome back to the show. We have a lot of interesting stories to share with you this week, from space news to Chinese news to Ukrainian information that I think uh, is quite fascinating, and Twitter, where Twitter 2.0 will be taking us in the near future. But let's start first with the space news. Always a great place to start in space. On flight day, I believe it's number 14 today on Artemis, going back to the moon. Okay. The spacecraft has reached the furthest distance from the Earth that will travel during the mission, which is 268,563 miles from our home planet. It will be capturing imagery of the Earth and the Moon together throughout uh, oh, the day. Oh, and I really loved that picture we looked at last week. The, uh, the moon close-up the of Earth. the Moon and a little tiny speck of the Earth like behind it, like a moon of Jupiter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing how big the universe is. My goodness. Yeah. Anyway, it's about the halfway point of the mission. It's a 25-and-a-half-day mission, and... So far, the spacecraft is amazingly healthy as it continues its journey, and it's going into a what they call a distant retrograde orbit. Mm-hmm. You know, which um, will be. Uh oh, Bobby! No dogs allowed. <laughs> okay, you're potted until the dogs outside. <laughs> now, the engineers had originally planned an orbital maintenance burn for today, but they determined it wasn't necessary because. Orion's already right on the trajectory that they want it to do for the orbit. Hmm. And they're examining a number of uh, additional test objectives to look at the environment, the temperature, the thermals, the propulsion system to see if they can reduce future risks with uh, the crew. And they've accomplished a lot of their test objectives successfully so far. I think the biggest problem they've had is that on the takeoff, it kind of destroyed the uh, tower. That, oh right! That the They're, astronauts, uh, right? The took the, the, the elevators. Launch, the launch zone is completely decimated by the rocket flyer. It blew out the uh, elevators. Right. Yeah. So they have to re <laughs> redo the tower, which is a surprise. Yeah. Because that rocket was stronger than they thought. Well, uh, it I think, is a large rocket, right? Oh, it's amazing. It's a record setter. <laughs> yeah. I was really quite impressed. Bobby, thanks for sending that clip yesterday on that, besides Scott Manley, who's one of our favorite trackers, the, the oh, Universe, right. Today Universe Today guy. Oh, that was Universe that's a Today really on YouTube. Good blog. Yeah. We're very happy to tune uh, into that one. Yeah. Yeah. He showed some footage yeah. of the takeoff from the point of view of the rocket itself. Right. As it left the pad. And that yeah, was, it wasn't yeah. live like the SpaceX footage usually is done pretty close to live. It was the next day, but still, it was just beautiful. The point of view of the rocket looking down at the launch pad as it took off. Yeah, and you see the, the smoke plumes yeah. and the fire and, you know, very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how SpaceX does it, but they have really good cameras and doing it live is just incredible. But... This Artemis was great. And the picture, I was wondering, how did they get this Artemis shot with the moon and the Earth? And what was outside the spacecraft to get that picture? That was the CubeSat, <laughs> Bobby. That was the film crew. Oh, it was a CubeSat that took the... Oh, okay. Because yeah. I was wondering, how did they get all three of those in the same shot? That's incredible. the secret. Wow. Yeah, not all of the CubeSats mm. were successful. Quite a few of them failed. That's right. Yeah. They had a dozen CubeSats that's right. with different missions, and many yeah. of them have not been successful. Yeah. But sadly. The, uh, 
the one yeah, that was filming. I, I was sad that the, the Japanese was supposed to land on the moon. That's right. You know, the lander, yeah. but it didn't. Yeah. It didn't. Ha- it didn't. They lost contact with it. Well, but, maybe they'll get it back before the end of the mission. Yeah. Communication so. has a way of restoring itself sometimes if they work hard <laughs> and they're lucky. That's right. You got to imagine the little CubeSat is trying to phone home. Yeah. One of the other CubeSats that is missing in action is the little light sail CubeSat. Oh, yeah. That has a light sail on board. It will allow it to look around the neighborhood of near Earth orbits between the Earth and the moon and explore other objects that it might find. Yeah. Imagine these ships in the new ocean of gravity wells in space. And this light sail is just going to try and pick up on whatever little solar wind there is and whatever gravity trajectories are possible. And there are thousands of floating objects in that space, mostly asteroid material, meteors, mm-hmm. and that uh, they're, they're hoping to, to notice and perhaps uh, determine their trajectories and seeing how they might be useful material or or they might be on a dangerous intersection with the Earth. You know, hopefully, if we have little craft flying around looking for objects like that, yeah. it will be a good thing to have. Yeah, apparently of the dozen CubeSats, a number of them were compromised by the constant delays. Some of them just didn't succeed in being launched properly. Some of them, their materials are compromised because of the multiple launch issues and few of them are actually working (laughs) so we'll keep looking for data on that as it develops yeah whatever happened to them we'll keep you posted as we find out more ourselves Mm -hmm. we got a caller mrs future we do okay let's Let's say hello to john from coralitas hi john hey john hey how are you hey john we're good we're good yourself good good my ears perked up when you said you're going to talk about space it oh, yeah, me, yeah. I'm that... thinking about this startup called Privateer Space. Oh, yes, Privateer. That's uh, Wozniak is involved with them. Yeah, and the big brain behind that is Alex Fielding. He had co founder Ripcord up in Hayward. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the founder and CEO of Ripcord, driving off his leadership to get the company started. I really like what Privateer Space is all about GPS mapping, space jump. Yes. At first, I was confused. I also thought that it meant cleaning, but it doesn't. It's kind of hard to retrieve a bolt flying 17,000 miles an hour. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Space speeds are amazing (laughs) when you think about it. Yeah. The distances are vast, but so are the speeds. <laughs> now, from my understanding, they're creating the infrastructure that will enable us to track tens of thousands of objects that are in space already, including over 27,000 human-made objects that are up there. Right. Yeah. It's, I think that this uh, company has real legs. What do you, so, you know about Yeah, what were you, yeah, you impressed? The startup CEO? Oh, what impressed Alex you? Fielding. When he got hired by Apple Computer, he was 16 years old, youngest employee. That's how his relationship with Steve Wozniak started. Steve took him under his wing. Oh, okay. So they, he was an Apple guy originally. That's interesting. But he's also a serial entrepreneur. They also had a business called Zeus. Right, right. Zeus. Um, wasn't that his uh, company to create a universal remote? Uh, that you got me. Oh, yeah. Apparently remember. he founded a company called Ripcord. Right? Ripcord as Ripcord, well. Ripcord, yeah. Alan Fielding. Mm-hmm. Alex Fielding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. When we started, it was him and me and our two dogs in a small space. Ripcord, the mission of Ripcord is 
ties, all the documents in the world, notwithstanding China. I don't think we need to go China. But digitizing with robotic workstations. Mm. And this isn't to eliminate people because you still need two people per machine, but the machines remove all the staples. The company holds on to the documents for six months, and if the client is happy with the work and they utilize the 24-7 access, then the paper is recycled. And Alex's vision, I thought it was awesome. It's global vision. He wants to digitize all the world's documents and have future documents printed on recycled paper. Hmm. <laughs> Great. Keeping information uh, in as many forms as possible. Listen, we got to go to a little break. But thanks for calling. Appreciate you checking in. That's really yeah. interesting. Anything else you'd like to pass on? No, no, that, that, that's about it. I think I said enough. All right. Well, thanks, John. Keep your eye on space. Yeah, Alex Fielding. Uh, he's got a nice LinkedIn page as well. Oh, yeah. Keep your eye on him. He's, we will. Uh, CEO and chairman oh. of Privateer Space. Keeping space accessible. Yes. Founder <laughs> of Ripcord. All right. Thanks cool. for calling. Appreciate it. All right, John. Yeah. Thanks for okay. the call. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks for calling, John. Off we go. Okay, I got some more information now on the 10 CubeSats that were launched as part of the Artemis mission. All 10 successfully deployed, launched into orbit. On November 18th, NASA officials confirmed that Argo Moon, BioSentinel, Aquelius, Luna H map, and Omatashi were all operational. Although Omatanashi began experiencing problems since then in terms of communication. And on November 24th, NASA reported that the NEA scout mission still hadn't made contact. The NEA scout mission, which was one of the CubeSats. That's the one that scouts around using the solar sail, mm-hmm. looking for objects to explore. Mm. Other Just aspects of Artemis are going on as well. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Future, you were reading some things that I thought should be worth passing on. Yeah, yeah. If you're interested in what's going on, you can get some live data on the mission. You can track the Orion spaceship. These are links that are in the article that are on the DrFutureShow.com. So they're worth checking out. You can see live imagery, which is an actual camera that's pointed at the spaceship as it continues its mission around the moon. There's also going to be a few specials on NASA TV, so you can go to the NASA TV schedule. NASA.gov will take you to a lot of these places. Yeah. Just NASA.gov. Yeah, absolutely. Also in space, I think one of the most amazing things was that we just got the most detailed view of an exoplanet's atmosphere. Oh, yeah. Thanks this to... This is the latest headlines from the James Webb The Webb Telescope, which is out. one of the things it can do, is that it can not only help discover planets around other star systems, but it can give us a more detailed view of what that planet is like, like yeah. its um, atmosphere. The new range of spectral analysis going on is allowing us to actually decipher what chemicals are in these exoplanet atmospheres. This one is called WASP-39b, which is a gas giant, 700 light years from us, 700 light years. The amount of time it takes light to travel in 700 years. 
Right. Which is pretty far. <laughs> yeah. Relatively, it's pretty close. Yeah, it's relatively, it's, you know, it's a big universe. distances, yeah. But for us to get there, <laughs> take forever, given current technology, at least until we invent warp drive. Yeah. So they detected carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And the James Webb Telescope is giving us even more information about the clouds and the photochemistry of that atmosphere. Uh, photochemistry is the chemistry derived from looking at it from photons, from mm -hmm. photonic from the, information. Yeah, from its from light them. signatures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's epic. There's five papers in Nature that are going into detail about the chemical signatures of life, a potential life outside the solar system from looking at this. They're a harbinger of things to come from the James Webb Telescope. So they're putting the telescope through its paces, and this is one of the its paces as to looking at the atmosphere of exoplanets. Mm -hmm. What they discovered about WASP is that they're not finding methane, which is one of those telltale chemicals that gives it some information about how close the planet is to its star, or its formation is to its star. I believe methane is also a byproduct of biological life. Mm -hmm. So if we see that, that gives us an indication, well, maybe there's biology there. <laughs> well, the fact that there's so little methane detectable tells the scientists that this exoplanet, even though it's very close to its star now, and it has about a four-day orbit, I'm not sure if that's Earth days or star days, but it's circling its star very, very quickly. But the fact that it has so little methane tells them that the formation of the planet was from much further away from the star. So, mm. oh, They also detected water vapor, sodium, and carbon monoxide in the atmosphere. Hmm. Yeah, about as uh, friendly as Venus, it sounds like. I wonder what they're burning on like. that planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did they burn? <laughs> <laughs> Do they even know what burning is? <laughs> Yeah. They're looking at the abundance of these elements. The ratio of carbon to oxygen, for example, suggests that the exoplanet, as you were saying, formed further from its host star than its current position. Mm -hmm. So it tells you a lot about the orbit. Right. It's attracted to its star. Yeah. They also discovered sulfur dioxide. Yuck. Sounds like it would stink. <laughs> <laughs> well, here in our solar system, in rocky worlds uh, like Venus and uh, Jovian moon Io, uh, sulfur dioxide is mostly the result of volcanic activity. Oh. But on gas worlds... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah the, you know, in Hawaii, that's the problem with the, the VOG is sulfur dioxide. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, it's a vol uh, volcanism. You can die by not getting enough oxygen when you're around that. Yeah, yeah, not healthy yeah. for your, for biology, biologicals like us. Yeah. But on gas worlds, where there aren't volcanoes, sulfur dioxide has a different origin story. They believe that it's produced when hydrogen sulfide is broken down by light into its constituent parts, and the resulting sulfur is oxidized. The gas worlds have a different chemistry hmm. than us rocky planets. So wasp. 39b is not likely to be habitable to any life as we know it for a whole, whole bunch of reasons. But We already weren't in a hurry to get there, but, you even know, though that, it's only 700 light years away. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that there isn't something else there besides 
biological life. Right. It's but not, it does mean that we're excited to see what kind of data we're getting from the James Webb Telescope. Right, yeah. <laughs> so WASP-39b is our first big experience of what it can do in telling us more about exoplanets. Yeah. We used to think we had to go there in order to figure out what's on a planet, but... No, not you anymore. just have to look at it through the right telescope. <laughs> yeah, you would think that uh, alien intelligences probably have had this kind of awareness for some time and have probably scanned our universe quite a bit and probably know all about us a long time ago. <laughs> they know what we're breathing, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it seems like anything like Earth would stand out uh-huh. and would be very detectable from vast distances away. Oh, you think so, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, just put yourself in the position of discovering Earth with some alien James Webb telescope. Probably wouldn't be that hard. You just have to find it among the billions of planets that are out there. Quick scanners. Mm. I suspect that it's possible, if if you look at the Drake equation, that there perhaps have been thousands of technological civilizations that have born, risen, and died off already, and that many of them have discovered us in a no longer around. <laughs> They've evolved. Yeah. <laughs> Contemplating things in the scale of space is a very expansive idea mm-hmm. because we can barely fathom the billions of years that have gone into creating this moment. We have trouble just looking at a hundred years, right? Yeah, we like to be here and now as much as possible. Yeah. And here and now, we have detected new organic compounds in Martian rocks. The Perseverance, or Percy, our latest rover on the Martian surface, has found evidence of organic compounds in the rocks of Jezero Crater. That's quite an interesting thing. Previous studies have found evidence of organic compounds on Mars before. The Curiosity and the Mars Express both returned evidence, but now Perseverance has as well. But none of it is solid enough to imply that well, there's biology there. You know? All we're finding is dead biology. <laughs> well, Old. not even that. Not even. We have dead biology. It would be like fossils. Uh-huh. It'd be great to find some fossils over there. But we haven't uh-huh. done that. We're just finding biological chemistry. That's what we're finding. Well, what, the thing is, is that a lot of organic compounds can be formed from geological phenomena or by carbon-based life forms. So come or ge- geology can generate a lot of similar signatures. Uh-huh. So we're trying so to tease that out. Can't tell the difference out. between yeah. a volcano fart and a animal fart. Yeah, I guess you could say something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but right now they're <laughs> they're trying to look at the water history of Mars and whether or not the red planet could have been a water planet. There's more and more evidence to suggest that it might have been a water planet at one time. I wonder why this headline continues to fascinate us. Is there life on Mars? Well, well once again, we found some evidence there's water. Uh, that's a good start. Uh, is there life on Mars? Well, we found some evidence that water mixed with carbon, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's getting a little closer. You know, scientists tend to be somewhat conservative in making a claim that they've actually found evidence of life on another planet. That, that's a big deal, right? If they can say that... You know, that's bragging rights. <laughs> that's right. You might be able to name a new mineral but after you have to yourself. Really <laughs> prove it. You know, you have to show that it wasn't a volcano fart that you, you put your life on. <laughs> you know, that's really. Uh, there are other people like Faces on Mars and stuff like Richard Hoagland. Uh huh. Right, that. But right. the, 
he's not taken he's seriously not a by scientists. serious scientists. He's typically. A, he analyzes photographs. Yeah, and yeah. He he's has a very fantastical very mind. Imagination. He does. He does. Yeah. And not to say that he might not be seeing something, but you need more evidence than that yeah. to be published in Nature right. magazine. Somehow this ties in with this other article you have about the two new minerals that were discovered from Somalia. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even back to Earth here, eh? Yeah, back to Earth, because we're discovering new chemicals that are telling us about our origins, right? Yes. These minerals were never before seen, were found in a meteorite. Oh, and you know what? We're going to have to hold that, that like a cliffhanger. Break. Okay. <laughs> two minerals never seen on Earth found in a 17-ton meteorite. Details after the break. Okay, welcome back to the show. Yes, just before the break, we're teasing you with uh, two minerals that never before seen on Earth were found inside a 17-ton meteorite. Now, that kind of blows my mind, a 17-ton meteorite. Right. And, right, and it happened in 2020 in Somalia. Did we even hear about that? And this is completely sketchy yeah. about that original 17-ton I meteorite. Mean, we get hit by a 17-ton meteorite, you think, you know, would have made some news. Yeah, to think. Yeah, but did you hear about it, Bobby? Did you did you hear about the seventeen hundred in Somalia? That's huge. I know, right? You think you think it would have extincted something? I wondered if this article put together all of these facts about these two new minerals from some kind of a bot thread, because when I searched it, all I could find was basically this same article in a number of different formats. Formats, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like the search words are pulling up all the same articles and they're only saying just that these two new minerals were found. But you can't find any information about the original meteorite. Okay, that, well, it looks like the clue here uh-huh. is the name of the new minerals uh-huh. that have been discovered. One's called Elalite, E-L-A-L-I-I-T-E. Because the meteor that it came from is called El Ali. Okay, okay, that helps explain that. Yes. And the other one is called Elkinstantonite. Elkinstantonite. After Lindy Elkinstanton, the managing director of the Arizona State University Interplanetary Initiative and principal investigator of NASA's upcoming Psyche mission, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, because the Psyche mission is exploring this large metal asteroid in the asteroid belt that may contain tons and tons of very valuable minerals, including gold and platinum and All right. who knows what else. Psyche. <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. So Lindy Elkins Tenton sounds like the person to talk to, the managing director of the Arizona uh-huh. State University Interplanetary Initiative. Right. Chris Hurd, professor of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Alberta, says. Whenever you find a new mineral, it means that the actual geological conditions, the chemistry of the rock, was different than what's been found before. So this is what makes it exciting. If you look at it, you can begin to 
see maybe how that rock was formed and in so doing learn something about the formation of our solar system. Mm-hmm. Right, especially if that rock came from a meteorite. Yes, yes. Yeah, so different than what we have on Earth that we learned something about the stars. Researchers classified the El Ali as an iron IAB complex meteorite, which is a type made of meteoric iron flecked with tiny chunks of silicates. Hmm. Now, isn't there something you know about iron that it's limited to, it has to be made in a star, something like that? Anything heavier than iron typically originally came from uh, something as vast as a a supernova, Mm -hmm. a star exploding in order to create the conditions necessary to fuse the atoms to create stuff more complex than iron. Right. I think iron can be created by less intense processes. Right. Yeah, that's kind of the threshold. But everything beyond iron um, comes from supernovas originally. Yeah. As far as we know. Unless somebody had an advanced fusion lab (laughs) that was able to create this. (laughs) In their garage. Fused iron. Advanced fusion lab (laughs) for some uh, garage science for others. (laughs) Depends on your intelligence, I suppose. All right, so this is some yeah. kind of iron silicate. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. and they compare the minerals with versions uh, that have been previously synthesized in a lab, meteoric iron flecked with silicate, and that's why they're able to rapidly identify it as new because they haven't seen it before from nature. We've seen this sort of mixture happen in the lab. Humans have made it in the mm-hmm. past. How do you tease out the geological processes and the geological history of an asteroid? And with these unusual forms of metal in them, it really is interesting to scientists because they they never thought they'd get to see new minerals just by looking at a meteorite before. Talk about the universe in a grain of sand. The problem is is that their their sample, they've only had it for a short period of time and can't hold on to it. And the meteorite's now been moved to China to find a buyer for the meteorite. <laughs> now, see, that makes me Isn't suspicious, too. That a strange it's a, turn the meteorite at the has been end moved of to China. this article? Yeah, uh, this for a buyer. This is an ad for someone to buy this uh, new mineral but, from but, a meteorite. But they're Somalia. talking about how they worked this whole thing, all this research in these new minerals from a 70-gram a slice, 2.5-ounce slice of this 17-ton meteorite. Hmm. Now, what about the rest of it? What about the all those 17 yeah, all tons? The, where's you know, the rest of maybe it? Maybe <laughs> those 70 grams went to China, but what about the 70 tons? that are, are they still in Somalia and you have to get past the pirates in order yeah, to... Yeah, that must be it. It's too dangerous. Yeah. This is the only part that's accessible. That's Somalian, why it's up for auction. <laughs> see, maybe the, the Somalians might find another way of making money besides piracy. Oh, sure. Chipping off this 17-ton meteorite <laughs> into small scientists. pieces. Right. I mean, I, I <laughs> All they need is a website. <laughs> most scientists would have enough budget to pay 100 bucks for a slice. Yeah, maybe. So, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I guess it has to be the right slice. Sure. Yeah. It has to fit under their microscope. So that is a very puzzling story. Yeah. Also, weather looks excellent for the SpaceX launch of a Japanese moon lander. That will be going up possibly as early as tomorrow. Mm, okay. Yeah. The weather conditions look excellent in Florida right now. And this is a pretty unique mission. It's going to be flying a Japanese lander to the moon early tomorrow, probably late tonight and 
The conditions hold that they plan to launch a Falcon 9 rocket at 3.39 a.m. Eastern Time and then return for a land-based recovery at the Cape's Landing Zone 1. That's for the booster to be landing. So there'll be big sonic booms and that sort of thing, and we'll see this lander go up. The Japanese company aiming to put it up there is called the Haikuto-R Mission 1 lander, and they want it to be on the surface of the moon. This spacecraft, if everything goes according to plan, it will take five whole months to reach the moon. And they said that that's because they want to save fuel. <laughs> it's like sailing ships as opposed to motorboats. <laughs> right. We're yeah. going to sail there. It's going to take five months, but we're in no hurry. The moon's uh-huh. been there a long time. We're, we're Most uh, rockets are gas guzzlers, but not this yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. The company that's doing it, iSpace, they were established in 2010, and their goal is to develop systems to deliver payloads to the moon. And they say they, quote, balance reliability and low cost by employing proven technologies and components from around the world. So that's happening tomorrow. Okay. And they'll be capturing that booster if they can for reusing Oh, yeah. You get to watch it. It should be a very impressive. Whenever you see a a Falcon 9 launch at night, it's pretty cool looking. And to see the lander land at night, too, Mm -hmm. would be great. That's also in our space news. And, oh, yes, uh, China outlined uh, a pathway for lunar and deep space exploration, their 20-year plan, I guess you might say. They have a pathway for robotic and crude lunar and deep space exploration with a number of missions happening over the next few years, leading to a permanent moon base. They have three upcoming robotic missions. They'll put in place landers, orbiters, and relay satellites, and they'll be testing uh, key technologies for construction of what they call the International Lunar Research Station, which is actually Chinese International Lunar Research Station in the 2030s. They just don't release those plans. It'll be kind of interesting. They're currently working immediately on launching what they call the Chang'e 6, 7, and 8 missions to set the stage for the larger moon base initiative. Hmm. They announced this at a four-day United Nations-China Global Partnership Workshop on Space Exploration in Haiku. Hainan province. It's just an island province of China. Hmm. Uh, Chani 6 is a backup to the Chani 5, which is the lunar sample return. That was their last one where they brought back some lunar rock from the moon. And they'll attempt to collect up to uh, two kilos of material from the South Pole, which is where everyone wants to go. In, <laughs> in the South Pole is where the action is. The most valuable moon rocks to date. That's right. That's right. That's where there's volatiles. Might be valuable for Oh, them. moon rocks we can burn. <laughs> yeah. Water. Water, yes. That's Two kilos right. isn't going to go very yeah. far. <laughs> no, no, but they'll be investigating the shadowed areas of the lunar South Pole, and that's where the cool stuff is. And Chenji 7 will launch around 2026, and it consists of an orbiter, a lander, a rover, and a mini flying craft, a little flying detector. So they'll have their own little flying craft on the moon, which would be quite interesting. Probably not a helicopter. There's no air at all. All kinds of autonomous vehicles. (laughs) And they'll be looking for water ice and and probably helium-3, which will be power for fusion, fusion reactors, which will probably power most of the spacecraft. And that means it's time for the second hour of the Dr. and Mrs. Future show. 
And now, your host, Dr. Future. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the second hour. In this part of the show, we're mostly going to be talking about sociopolitical, technical stories, guaranteed to trigger a few neurons in your brains. But before that, I had one final piece of space news this week. It was a fascinating sonification. Now, how, how can I not do a sonification for radio? This was an attempt by NASA to turn the sounds of a black hole into sound. I mean, the, yeah. okay, this is new sonification actually is turning light echoes from a black hole into sound. There we have it. Now, can you hear it? Yeah, I can hear it. But I was going to say that black holes are notorious for not letting light, such as radio, visible, and x-rays, escape from them. Sounds almost like water crashing against rocks. But these are these are sound of light bouncing off of objects around the black hole before it goes into the black hole. A kind of a a crackle. A crackle that it's kind of like how your lights from your car reflect off of fog. Oh, okay. I see. It's a kind of an effect. So you so get we're a bounce sonifying effect. the light interacting with the fog around the black hole right here i'm gonna go yeah, up play in the again. volume yeah, again. yeah there's, this is a result from the chandra x-ray telescope and the swift telescope both uh, showing light echoes detected in x-rays as they move away from the black hole okay let's play it one more time so okay, you can get a, with a little bit of music in the background too. okay here we go black hole is the center and then the sonification is this wave that interprets the data and if it sees data of a certain sort it gives you a high pitch another sort gives you a lower pitch so it really sounds like an ocean doesn't it yeah yeah, yeah. that's 7,800 light years from Earth. Okay. Those are all the little particles that are escaping. They're close to the edge, but they haven't fallen in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now back to Earth here. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. One of the curious things about um, the tech in the Ukraine has been these Iranian drones that have been being used for taking out the infrastructure of Ukraine from Russia. Sure. They seem to have a lot of them. Yeah, this is the first war that, that I'm aware of that seems to have been determined by all of these consumer-level drones. Are they consumer-level or are these like the 10-foot well, drones? Well, it's, it's interesting about... Well, there's big ones. These are these are like $20,000 drones. Oh, okay. Okay, and they can carry uh, quite a punch. There's new intelligence been collected about these Iranian drones it shows that a majority of the aircraft parts are actually manufactured by companies in the U.S. Hmm. Also, really? uh, a number of parts from Europe as well. 
and, and so you're in. saying yeah. we're kind of in the like when uh who was it in world war Two we had people investing on both sides of the war I, I think it's a little more sneaky than that yeah i think it's like third parties buying parts in the u.s and europe and then shipping them to another country and then shipping them to another country Oh, I see. Under shell company names and things like that. So it prompts um, our government to investigate uh, the matter and to see what might... What? We're manufacturing the drones that are being used against us? What? (laughs) Yeah. So... Which warlord isn't following the rules? It's companies that are often run by intelligence agencies that funnel things through fake names. And, you know, it's really hard to stop. Mm. Right. It's really, really complex. It's a global economy that makes it difficult to control that kind of thing. So when it comes to buying drone parts, privacy is safe. People are safe. They can get away with it. But when it comes to your own phone number, you can't keep that out of the hands of people who want to spy on you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what would you do? How would you fight against something like this? I don't know. Fighting is not my nature. My nature is to profess that goodwill is the answer and really trying to undermine the narrative that we're doomed to destroy ourselves because it's our nature to be so violent. I think of that as a belief system and I come from a competing belief system, which is we have freedom of choice and it's within our nature to identify our angels and our demons and to choose the highest outcome and that the conversation should bring out the best in us instead of the worst in us and prize love over fear and, you know, do things like that. Come from a a place where goodness wins. Yeah. Well, you're not the kind of person there that's fighting. That's right. (laughs) I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm living in a, a blessed bubble of being an American in California who has a beautiful life and, and is full of love and feels like that should be available to everyone everywhere. Well, this story is in the Wall Street Journal. If you want to see more information on that, you have to get behind their paywall. Okay. Or subscribe to Apple yeah. uh, Plus. Can you or... find out who's profiting selling American drone parts to the yeah. Iranians to sell to Russia? Right. Yeah. How do you? How <laughs> if you do want you... to track that down? Call the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. <laughs> They're interested in that. Of course, if you can track it down, maybe they can plug some of those companies. But it's kind of, from what I can see, it's like whack-a-mole. They're going to get rid of one shell company, another one will form, and that sort of thing. So. It's a difficult issue. It's part of the problem with this global economy. You know, how do you really track who's doing what when it comes to uh, selling and buying weapons, especially or parts that could be used for all kinds of things, but we can make weapons out of. Sounds like you're questioning parts. the free market. Hey, it's interesting. Interesting issue. All right, all right we'll be right let's back. Go to Okay, welcome back to the show. Oh, good. I was able to get behind the uh, Wall Street Journal paywall while the commercial was on. And I can mention a couple of names for you that are um, parts that have been found in the Iranian drones uh, attacking the Ukraine. One is from Microchip Technology, Inc., which is an Arizona-based company and two of the world's top-tier chip manufacturers, apparently. And they are a host for a number of the electronic components on board the drones, along with the German-owned Infion Technologies AG. So you're saying that we've got Japanese and German 
middlemen who are selling American parts to the Iranians? No, no. These are these are like not just American parts, but German parts and Japanese parts as well. The oh, servo motors. Yeah. So they the don't care where their parts come from. From the drones come from Japan's Tanigawa Seiko company. You, know, you heard of Seiko watches? <laughs> yeah, Seiko. Seiko. Yeah. Right. So according course, to yeah. <laughs> Ukrainian intelligence documents, um, you know, what's Ukrainian intelligence? You know, that's the other question. I'm sure it's heavily supported by the Western Five Eyes. Mm. Yeah. I think what they should do, they should actually vet when they sell large amounts of these things to these shell companies that eventually resell them back to or take them to Iran. It seems like there should be tags that could be put, let's say, on the blockchain, and you could actually track some of these chips and see where they end up. I think that the best thing is, yeah, who, who they, bought and sold them. you know, when they get a large order for things, they should actually vet these companies out from their reputation of what they've been doing in the past. And if they don't have a reputation, maybe they should investigate them first before selling large amounts of these products to them. Yeah, well, they probably need to have a whole, de like a detective division that just focuses on this kind of export control, if you will. Because yeah. because such transit shipments officially are a violation of the law, but they're just really difficult to yeah. prevent. The U.S. Treasury has sanctioned this week uh, several Iranian, Russian, and United Arab Emirate companies that are responsible for some of the transfer of the Iranian drone technology to the Russians. So the intermediaries are United Arab Emirates. <laughs> seem to be part of this. Yeah. Interesting, huh? You know what would be interesting if the, if the chip manufacturers, the microchip manufacturers, yeah. have a uh, self-destruct code <laughs> that they could initiate, initiate when remotely. Well, that's uh, yeah. required fairly sophisticated electronic components with an undercover self-destruct capability. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, the Chinese are good yeah. at that. Huawei, you know, created all those backdoors and ways of spying yeah. on people who bought their servers for the Chinese servers. Yeah. So, you know. Sounds pretty sci-fi. Right. Yeah. Well, it's pretty real. That's why Huawei well, isn't allowed in the it, U.S., yeah. you know, because of these things. Yeah. So who we got on the line, Mrs. Future? We have Kenny in Watsonville. Hi, Kenny. Hey, Kenny. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Kenny. And I called to support Mrs. Future in the beautiful and eloquent statement that she made about being in her bubble. <laughs> yeah, I'm really it, trying to expand my bubble, Kenny, and make it cover the planet. Yeah, I mean, well, that's I why I called. I everybody would right. come into well, this looks bubble like it's instead just expanded. of that bubble. <laughs> I called it to help you realize that you already are expanding your bubble just by saying that out loud. And in our interconnected universe, yeah. as many, many spiritualists and now many scientists like Nassim Haramein and all kinds of cutting-edge physics people are saying that truly we are entangled, yeah. and everything we think, do, and say has an impact on the collective consciousness. I believe so that. People, I believe that we affect each other and that we're all resonating like heart cells and that the, the vibration <laughs> that we put out really affects us very visibly, invisibly. It's through the music, it's through the dance, it's through the things we say to each other. All of those things give us our reality. 
It's not just what's coming through the news. In fact, that's such a lousy channel of reality. If we could just screen that out, they only want to talk about shootings, murders, wars, dishonesty, violations. They never talk about the kind of uplifting things going on in the world. They just, you know, they figure that's not their job. There are alternative sources of both news and other stories. And you, you can go online and find they're flourishing everywhere. There's Gaia TV. There are all these different sources of wonderful news about wonderful things that are happening that are very, very positive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I applaud what you just said again, uh, what you just finished saying before I started speaking again, that we do need to cut out the news. And people are. There are very few people actually watching the legacy media anymore. Yeah, um, you know, yeah we so have so many are, more choices. Thank goodness. Absolutely. So I just wanted to support you and have you take heart and know that everything that you think, do, and say is making a positive difference. And the more people that hear that, what you're saying, and also just feel it from their quantum entanglement, the more it'll it'll build on itself and and people will be coming forth and and starting to think more like the way you do. Aw, thank you, Kenny. I'm so glad you're out there. Thanks for that uh, affirmation. Yeah, some people... Some people say, yeah, he's Kenny. He's really out there. (laughs) (laughs) You're far out, man. I love it. (laughs) I'm willing to stick my neck out real far these days because everybody needs to hear these things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it does go back away, this kind of thinking. I mean, remember Transcendental Meditation Group once were doing group global meditations. They thought that they showed a reduction in crime in in cities when they were doing these. Absolutely. These yeah, there's ions, uh, uh-huh. you know, I-O-N-S, not, and then there's I-Ans, yeah. and they're both putting forth these notions themselves, and, you know, there's a lot of people that have had spiritually transformative experiences, and I'm talking about a whole bunch, especially since COVID. If you go online, you can find people saying what I'm saying and what Sun is saying and what you're saying you, all over the place. Yeah. They're, they're everywhere, especially, you know, mediums and people that have had the near-death experiences come back and said, hey, uh, this is the message. You know, you guys can do this thing. You don't have to keep doing it the way you're doing it, and there's going to be a, a new world. Um, yeah, no, I hear you. On the way, as, the, as the heart, one crumbles. How do you handle uh, friends who are insist on focusing on uh, what's negative, that, that we're a, a doomed society? How do you deal with uh, with friends like yeah, that? Yeah, we call them the end times tuners. The end times tuners. It's all going to yeah. go... <laughs> They're voting for the death of all. Yeah, I mean... uh, I just keep saying what I believe. Okay. And I don't really... I don't try to challenge them. I just try to counter them with something that's more positive. Uh, Because I found that when you're being negative, it not even means when you're confronting somebody, then it really doesn't serve a purpose, especially with those people who are so easily triggered by the fear that the fear mongers have been putting out for the last centuries now, but especially in the last three to four years. So I just try to counter negativity with positivity and point out all the beautiful and wonderful things there are. So in that end, that's why I called you a few weeks ago and told you about that energy company that's up and coming, the startup. And there's a lot of companies like that that are starting up that are doing things in a brand new way that's much more friendly to the earth and much more friendly to the population. Yeah, Uh, it's good to remember that a new world is coming. Yeah. And do you think, Kenny, that we're getting better at finding each other? Like those people who are doing good Mm -hmm. in the world, do you think they're better at finding the 
people that can support them and the things that they need to thrive? Absolutely. If you if you see who attends meetings with Greg Braden and Bruce Lipton and all those pioneers in this yeah. Ascension movement, people are just flocking to that because it's fresh air in a, in a stinky world. You know? <laughs> Gives you hope. Right. And there are, the people are finding each other, and I find the internet is probably the best way, but people, I just go to the beach sometimes and start up a conversation with somebody, and I find, oh, here's the kindred spirit, you know? Yeah. That, no, we, have, we do have friends who do concerts on the beach quite regularly here, like uh, Bells at Sunset. Yeah. Things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing. So I just encourage you to keep on with the positivity, and, and the, you know, the future is ours to seize. Thank yes. you, Kenny. Just All right. Keep on expanding right. and blowing up that yeah. that uh, happy bubble until it covers the whole universe, or <laughs> even Amen, brother. Even if the detractors call it the woo universe. The woo universe. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Let's a, live in the woo universe. Okay. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Uh, appreciate your call. Thank you. Oh, All right. Good to hear you from you, Kenny. Take care. Yeah. Thank you, Kenny. <laughs> yeah. Institute of Noetic Sciences, uh, one of our favorites. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I was just yeah. circulating a link that somebody sent me. Oh, Michael Moore sent me a link from Charles Eisenstein with this wonderful little 15-minute movie that he played at the last IONS conference that we went to that was all about how our spirits are these magical spirits that have come to earth so that the evolution that's happening now is supported by all of us. And it was just this really beautiful, upbeat video. Definitely worth 10 minutes of my time compared to 10 minutes of Yeah, no, I hear you. No, I, I'm into that. But I think there's a way in which we can take the mainstream narratives that are coming through and reframe them and seeing how they can actually be improved. You're uh, so rather good than at by that. ignoring them. Yes. You know, otherwise I agree. you're kind of like your head in the sand is not always going to accomplish what you want either. Yeah. But no, there are I, ways of I changing, transmuting the energy. Yeah. Like, I think human beings are so naturally contrary that we can harness it as a force of good. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Like this, well, I guess we got to go to the break, but I've got a couple stories we're going to try to reframe in the next half hour. Ooh. Like the Chinese police uh, issues that are going on right now. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to reframe for you on that. Okay. All right. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Protest. Speaking of positive change, happy birthday to Foster Gamble today. <laughs> Foster has been one of the persons uh, responsible for moving positive energy in our community. Definitely. Foster and Kimberly are local activists who we are very proud of. You might have they heard really of the Thrive movies. Yes. Thrive. Yeah, Thrive 1 th- and 2. Right. And they're all about new energy and new ways of thinking about how to make things better. Oh, and their online movement at their website, thriveon.org, is a forum for 
visionaries to introduce ideas about the future and better understandings of science and reality and also get involved in political activism. My hat's off to them. Foster and Kimberly have really done a lot. They first came to my attention before the movie Thrive came out. They were actively engaged in getting rid of the spraying for the brown moth. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So they really showed you how to harness the local sentiment to fight against moneyed interests that were not good for the majority of the people and to really activate that. So they were protesting before protesting was in fashion. Yes, yes. Thrive, what on earth will it take when it first came out? And then Thrive 2 was called This Is What It Takes. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, you like the focus because it's all about new energy, right? Yeah, and Greg Braden and Kelly Brogan. And And the mystery of our coherent connection with each other and the world beyond the mechanical, the world of the emotional, spiritual, and the way that our environment and nature is so much a part of our own health. A lot of really good ideas in those Thrive movies. Yes, Thrive. And we also had mentioned IONS, which is about... um, The Institute of Noetic Science. Scientific discovery, personal exploration, scientific inquiry to understand knowledge and knowing and bringing us into a deeper connection with each other, which is really our natural state. Sure. Rather than... um, It's the science of knowing how we know. A more superficial dynamic, which is mostly what we have today. Uh-huh. Yeah, to, to more go explore how we are much more intertwined than we realize mm-hmm. the interconnected nature of reality. Right. Using science uh, and personal discovery. So that's where science meets shamanism. Your own personal experiences of connection with others right. combined with a scientific approach. Sure. Yeah. Individually, you're not alone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do we reframe some of the stuff in the news? Okay, well, let's. Let's take a look at some of the the mainstream news and see how to reframe it, okay? I have one piece linked in called, the title is, Chinese police are searching phones for Instagram, Twitter, and Telegram as protests mount. Thanks, Gabby, for sending that in. Mm -hmm. Okay, people are using the, these are banned services. What we use regularly here in this country are banned in China. Mm -hmm. Instagram, Twitter, Telegram. And people are using those banned services to communicate and organize protests against China's Mostly what they call COVID restrictions right now. Right. But, yeah, it's really kind of a catch-all for any excuse will do to lock people up. Yeah. And we're seeing them starting to abuse the COVID protocols. Sure. Yeah, you can always just say, hey, crowds of people, they're going to affect each other. It's a COVID crisis. For example, in Guangzhou City today, Chinese government has remotely switched protesters' health passports on their phone to code yellow. There you go. If you're okay. out on the streets protesting in Guangzhou, all of a sudden you're sick. Yeah, and you can't go home. A yellow code on your phone means you can't gain entry back into your apartment. So it's basically making thousands of people homeless instantly by changing your status, your COVID status, to yellow on your phone. So that means not only can you be locked in like your home is a jail, that's be part of the out. COVID yeah. thing, the lockdown, but you can be locked out. If you don't do what they say, you can't go home. It's I, so crazy. I mean, to understand the numbers, they have already locked down 300 
million people <laughs> in China. That's almost the population of the United States. Okay, <laughs> yes, they're locked down uh, because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot, lot of these protests, I, so, I understand, were started because of people not being able to be saved from a fire and not being able to escape because they were locked down. Ostensibly, one of the causes for the protests was that. Uh, a lockdown area, the, uh, the emergency services couldn't rescue people from a fire. But and the people couldn't leave. I don't know. I th that, could be, that could be a story that could be um, just... Uh, so you think that might just be it, a rumor, what I've a heard, story. What I've also heard is that a lot of these protests began on university campuses mm -hmm. across China, um, including Z's alma mater. Oh, you got to love young people. They're yeah. old enough to protest, but not experienced enough to know how it might harm them and if later. You, and if you listen to some of the uh, protests, you see that they're actually not just about COVID, but they're about democracy and uh, determining your uh, the right to vote and, and those sorts of freedoms mm -hmm. that the people are asking for that. And I can't help but feel that the Hong Kong protests and the people there have helped to introduce a number of beams into the culture sure to change things and memes have an interesting way of expanding sure like, now define memes because a lot of people sort of know what they are but the way you're using it why don't you really ground well it? A, a very popular and in memes like one that is actually the chinese have developed have embraced with a very different meaning than in the west is um, peppy the frog yeah, that's an interesting one. Yeah. I, I was not aware of Peppy the Frog until you gave me a little education about that. Yes, yes. Peppy the Frog was a, is an example of a meme. Peppy the Frog was an internet meme that it, it consists of a green anthropomorphic frog with a humanoid body. And it and, came from a comic strip, uh, right? An 05 comic by Matt Fury called Boys Club. And it became an internet meme when its popularity grew across uh, the internet of the time, which was like MySpace. Yeah, 2005. Fortune. That was before the smartphone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it became one of the most popular memes on what they call 4chan and Tumblr. And then it started to mutate, you know, as memes do, to include sad frog, smug frog, angry, peppy, feels frog. So it, before emojis, we had peppy. Yeah. And it was originally an apolitical. A peppy was appropriated from 2015 to 2016 as a symbol of the alt-right movement. And the Anti-Defamation League included Pepe in its hate symbol database in 2016. But they admitted that most instances of Pepe were not used in hate-related context. But it was used in 2019 in Hong Kong by protesters, 2019 and 2020. And despite being used in a political context, its use in Hong Kong had nothing to do with alt-right ideology. Mm-hmm but was more adopted to the freedom of human rights, maybe rights, human rights in human rights, the democratic of, freedom of that culture at the time, the Hong Kong culture. It's still a symbol in this country and it's still a familiar sight all across the Internet. As a matter of fact, it had even been banned on Apple, Apple's uh, app, app store. store. Yeah, because, uh -huh. because of its alt-right <laughs> sensibilities. Huh. So, I see. So it's kind of yeah, got a secret yeah. history. It does. It is. It is an example of, of how a symbol can become meaningful. Right. And it's, it's seemingly abstract, almost. Um, sure. Well, originally so a cartoon frog becomes a banned symbol of hate speech. Yeah. The original one was just a picture of uh, the frog peeing with his pants pulled down to his ankles with a phrase underneath it. 
feels good, man. <laughs> feels good, man. He's, oh, I can see why that would take down. off. And that that would be like one of those meme. little internet yeah. uh, share yeah. gifts or something like that. It was an in-joke uh-huh. for and a while. it's a cartoon character. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, good. it's not banned for being porno. Yeah. And then they added color to it. It was originally black and white, and then they put brown lips on them, and and then all the variants started coming out. You know, I mean, it's well. And the thing is, it's it's, um, it's a cartoon. It's easy to copy. It's yeah. easy to play with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it seems like nobody owns it until you start giving it a character name. I so, guess the artist has a copyright because he's been defending his copyright in cases where he insists that people not use it for hate speech. Right. Yes, and he tried to create it. He tried. The, the original author was upset that it was got appropriated for meaning that he had he didn't like, like the alt right, and he tried to kill the character. But that didn't work. You know, by that time the meme is out of control, and everyone's using it in their in their, their buttons and flags and their websites, and then connecting it with other memes like Kekistan, which was a fictional country created by internet people, mostly from 4chan. And it became an online movement. They made up a whole fake country around it. The national flag of Kekistan, which is modeled after the Nazi war flag. <laughs> you know, it's, it gets out of control. It gets pretty crazy. Look up Pepe the Frog on Wikipedia. You get a really nice understanding of how memes go. But I think the point of it is that you can appropriate a meme and create a positive twist to it yourself and put it out there and it might not catch on but it might well that's what hashtags are supposed to be hashtags are all about trying to come up with the little memory word that's going to get everybody to look for it yeah yeah and and you might be able to to create a new icon that represents sensibilities uh, that you feel the world would be better well, thank you Say, uh, sure. for that explanation. And I'm sure you have more things yeah, to Yeah, like the Hong Kong protests it. and the use of Pepe in the Hong Kong protests. Whereas he was a renaissance, a resistance symbol at that point. Wow. And that's now having an effect on China with these, with these uh, demonstrations. Changing sides. Okay. Interesting, huh? Stay tuned, folks. Right. We'll be back. Okay, welcome back to the show. All right, let's bring on Marsha. All righty. Hello, Marsha. Hey, you beautiful people out there. <laughs> hey, Marsha. Hey. Big giant smile. Hey. <laughs> big old smile. I'm a big old mean up in the sky smile. The rising Archie all up together yeah. and stand with these people around the world who want peace. Yeah, there's way more of yeah. us. We should be able to Thank win. Thank you, Marsha. <laughs> Yes, there's Bobby. Yeah. Bobby, I yeah, got the yeah. meme for yes. I bought the meme for this. We're gonna raise our chi. We're just gonna vibrate. We're gonna get a balloon and put a coin inside. Blow up the balloon. Put the knot in the palm of your hand and rotate that balloon until the coin stands up tall. And with very little motion, you can raise your chi, and that coin will stay on its head or its tail around inside that bubble in that balloon, and your chi will grow and grow and grow, and you can send it all through the world. So this is a helium balloon? Yes. Not a helium balloon. It's just a regular balloon. It's, I formulated a beautiful chi exercise. Oh, Anyone can do it. Low tech. You blow Low it. tech. Got it. The chi is coming from mm. you and your own breath. 
Yes, the chi is in my rota- my the chi is in my body and the rotation of my hand in my wrist. I rise it up through my body, and everyone can do it. And as you raise your chi, you visualize where you want to send it. You want to send it over the china. We want to give them the. They are now standing up. Isn't it awesome? <laughs> Yes. They're standing up and they're grabbing their cheese. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, guys. I love you. We made it past Thanksgiving. Yes. We did. We did. We, we had a did. great time at Thanksgiving, yeah. too. How That's about you? Great. How was your Thanksgiving this year? Oh, so excellent. My oldest son is just magnificent in your area, and he creates a beautiful, beautiful spread of food and people and neighbors and love of the family, and we just had an excellent time. We, we uh, had it all passed into the next day, you know, wow. just beautiful, and we were thinking of you. We think of our local radio channel, and we want to let everyone know we're going to gain the love. It's not going to stop. It's going to be sent out everywhere like it has been happening mm. for us. We're going to fill the world with KSCO and all the chi we can gather yes. and send yes. 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 everywhere. Uh-huh. It's not awesome. going to stop. <laughs> all right. I'm on that, I'm yeah. on that balloon. <laughs> all right, you guys. I'm yeah. going to listen. I yes. love you guys. Thanks, love you so love much. You Thanks for calling, Marsha. It's great to hear from you. Thank you, Marsha. We love you, Marsha. Thank you. Great. Yeah. What a beauty. You know, things amazing things can happen to people. Like, for example, you heard of Joseph of Cupertino. Joseph of Cupertino, he a was famous in a, saint. Yeah, he was a famous saint from 1603 to 1663. He was an Italian conventional Franciscan friar, and he was also um, a, a mystic and a, and later became the saint. And he had experienced levitation quite frequently, yeah. and part of the reason why he did is because he had these ecstatic visions throughout his life that just made him laugh and laugh and have such a great time. He started flying. He became so late. And they didn't know what to do with him. Uh-huh. You know, in the church, it was just unbelievable. One of those miracles. Yeah, they didn't consider That's him. why they call him a saint. They, they called him remarkably unclever. He wasn't the smartest guy. <laughs> he only does world. one trick, yeah. but it's a good one. Yeah. He was born in Naples, and, and uh, he experienced these visions starting as a child and continued through his life, and most people didn't like it. You know, they, they saw him do that. They, some people thought it was, uh, they just made them angry for some reason. Oh, well, what era is this? It's like, 1600s. Oh, 1600s. this is witchcraft time, man. You can get in yeah. trouble for doing stuff Yeah, like I believe that. he was even taken in front of a, a board to see if there was... This work from the devil right. or God. <laughs> right. <Yes>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he claimed to be able to levitate while participating at mass. And he gained a wide reputation for people who came to see him. The religious superiors considered him disruptive to the church. because it Well, it's hard to pay attention yeah. to a guy who's floating, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they confined him to a small cell and they forbade him to join any public gatherings for a while to see if that would work. I wonder how high uh, he would go. Like, you know, when you yeah. have those little UFO spaceships that you have that are little drones that know how to fly. You definitely have the sense that there's no brakes stopping them from going up too high, right? That's you—you you only fly inside because otherwise you'll lose it, right? You think 
Well, Joseph I don't know if he could fly inside. Joseph had to deal with that, or I, I, would he cling to trees, or what? I think he had to have a certain levity of his mind. Uh-huh. You know, as a state of consciousness that allowed him to fly. So he did it during mass. It, yeah, mass kind of got him really high. <laughs> so <laughs> so he's probably it. in a church. <laughs> so Brother Norm asks, why would a common priest fly but not a bishop or a pope? Ah, oh, well, you know, it's hard to it's hard to get it through the hierarchy when you're you know only know one miracle. <laughs> yeah, well, he was denounced I, in the Inquisition. I, 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 think, I, I think the robes had too much gold in them and held them down from flying. From oh, flying. are you yeah. talking like you know the story, or are you imagining? <laughs> I'm just imagining. Huh. But yeah, no, this guy is in Cupertino in Naples, right? Not the Cupertino. There is there is a uh, diocese here in Cupertino. No, not here. California. No, but, Apple is in yeah. Cupertino. Apple computer, but Yeah. And if you fly yeah. with your Apple, but <laughs> Anyway. So why are you bringing uh, well, I, Joseph I, of Cupertino to us well, today? Well, I'm, I'm just saying because it ties in the idea is that your state of mind really affects others around you. Oh. And so if you want to live in a bubble of a, a blissful of universe of mm-hmm. a, a, um, a universe or yeah then you should because it will expand oh. it will expand and they tried to stop him you know they transferred him from one franciscan friary to another region moving him away from people you know till he was in a more and more obscure locations uh-huh. put him uh, in a cave yeah so that <laughs> and, but he was a severe ascetic throughout his life and he only ate solid food maybe twice a week anyway so oh, he was kind of like that's why he was light as a feather yeah he ate like a bird <laughs> and and he would add bitter powders to his meal uh-huh. and he spent 35 of his years eating that way huh. and wow. yeah so he was beatified in 1753 and canonized in 1767 oh well, i gotta thank nick herbert for turning us on to yeah. joseph of cupertino yeah dr nick herbert yeah he gave I... us the saint's calendar every day a new saint <laughs> now, in terms of other interesting, uh, what I consider positive news is that there is a reframe. You hear all this negative stuff about Twitter all the time, right? The news is always bashing Elon and and how he's going to ruin Twitter. And Even stuff on like Twitter, that. you get stuff Even like on, that. on Twitter. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't get is that he has a whole major vision of turning Twitter into something entirely different and more of a an everything app mm-hmm. with the long-term tweets and, and encrypted uh, text messages, YouTube-like videos, and a new form of payment system, sort of combining a lot of the apps that we use today into one, into one that uses the new latest ideas in all these arenas, mm-hmm. including crypto, mm-hmm. right? Because crypto has been being destroyed lately. So what do you mainstream. make about this rumor right. that all of these people have been exposed through Twitter leaks and hacks and all of their data has been Well, that's released? all been happening in the past. That's not the reimagined Twitter. Because we've gotten so great on encryption and encoding and, and methods of making things more secure than ever before. And to kind of throw out the old code and in with the new only kind of makes sense at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what people question is his motivation mm-hmm. for doing this yeah a lot of people question yeah. his motivation just act like they know better than he does <laughs> <laughs> don't take it so, from the um, source take uh, it from somebody who uh, what do you call it quarterbacking 
<laughs> yeah, the critics. Right. Armchair quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Armchair critics. Right. I, I, I think you have to go back to the history of Elon Musk. And he created PayPal. He was actually looking for something like crypto in the very beginning mm-hmm. and trying to get outside of the normal banking system and using credit cards. And so he came up with PayPal. But originally his idea was more a digital currency. Mm. So some people believe he might have been responsible for creating a Bitcoin in the beginning. Secretly, he's really possibly. Satoshi. Nakamoto Satoshi. Yeah. yeah. No, but, yeah, you there, know, there's some people one that the, believe One that. of the rumored sources of that. So, yeah. Well, he does know an awful lot about digital money. He's made that very clear. Yeah. He's helped a lot of people understand it better than they otherwise uh, would. And the whole idea of what is free speech right. and how that can be implemented by a private company. Because yeah. private companies have the right yeah. to not allow free speech. And the most of them don't. I like the way in which he's doing these spontaneous little questions like bring back Vine, you know, asking Did people. Did you vote on that? Yeah, I'd like to see Vine back. And I love the results. Vine. Vine, Vine is another way of YouTube. playing with video. It was another pre-TikTok. Yes. Short YouTube. videos. Yes. 69.6% said yes. 30% no. Oh, so, so maybe okay. I'll see so, Vine again. Yeah. So asking the public things and then getting an instant response, evaluating for 24 hours. Amazing. Anyway, it looks like we're out of time. Wow, that went wow. fast. Last of the month. Yeah, thank you all for listening. I appreciate your week. attention. Thank you, Bobby, for being part of it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank right. everybody out there. Thank Enjoy you, Mrs. Future. everybody's space time. Yes, thank you all. And it's fleeting. This is KSEO Santa Cruz.